Alyssa. Hello, West Heights. So as Alyssa said, we've been here for about a year. Before that, we were at a church where I was on the teaching team for about four years, and I thought I had done a good enough job keeping that secret from Josh. Um, until about a month ago, he said, um, Michelle heard through the grapevine that you used to preach. And I was like, yes, that's true. He's like, can you help me out? I'm like, all right, I'll come help you out. I'm just teasing. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you all this morning. And as Alyssa said, usually you might see me running around with our family. We have a 15-year-old daughter who is away at camp this month. And then we have a 12-year-old son, Nathan, who is actually on his way to catch the bus to Camp Kakwa for this week for Blaze. So it's just me this morning. Um, but I wanted to start by sharing a story about our 12-year-old son, Nathan. And I asked his permission, and he said yes. And he was so thrilled that I was going to be talking about him in service this morning and so bummed that he wouldn't be here to watch it happen. Um, so I'm going to tell this story about him. When he was around four or five years old, he came up with an illness that he called cloudophobus. Now, I don't know how such a little person came up with such a big word, but it was super cute to hear him say this big word. Um, if ever he had like a cold or the flu or something, he'd say, oh, mom, I got the quadophobus. And I'd say, oh, buddy, that sounds rough. I'm sorry about that. And I asked him one day, I said, what is this cloudophobus? And he said, oh, well, it's just sometimes you just fall through the floor. And I was like, wow, that is quite a symptom. Um, <laughs> the bottom just drops out <laughs> and you fall through the floor. And uh, I, uh, I thought, you know what, as I was thinking about what I wanted to preach about this morning, I thought, I think we all have had a bout of cloudophobus in our life, have we not? Moments when we feel like the floor just disappears from underneath us, the things that we have come to count on as our normal, as secure, as things that we, um, don't, we just take for granted are there suddenly change, Right? That certainly was the case with the pandemic, uh, but maybe you've experienced that a little bit closer to home and some significant relationships or um, in your work or possibly with your health, right? Things that you just sort of took for granted as normal suddenly change, the bottom falls out be beneath you, and you just find yourself in a totally new reality. Well, whether you have experienced cladophobus or experiencing it right now or not, the Bible gives us a really remarkable promise about these seasons of our life, and it's in Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10. I'm just going to take a drink because I'm already parched. It's not a good sign. The psalmist says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. That is a really beautiful promise, is it not? That no matter if we're on the highest highs or the lowest lows, God's presence is with us. But I think if we're honest, we may say, um, Kristen, I definitely feel God's presence in the highs. Don't always experience his presence in the lows. And so while this may be true, I don't always know it to be true in my experience. So I want to start today with a little bit of visualization as we get to our big idea. If you just close your eyes for me, I want you to imagine that you are hovering above a mountain range. You know, those opening scenes in movies sometimes where they have the camera hovering over the mountain ranges. Maybe you're hovering over the Alps or the Rockies or the Appalachians. And I want you to imagine that the sky starts to change and it starts to get gray and that a storm is rolling in. And I want you to imagine that it starts raining, 
And so the rain starts to fall on the mountain ranges, on the tops of the mountains. And I want you to imagine for a minute that rain is falling and it's getting absorbed into the, into the soil. But as the rain continues to fall, there's more and more and more uh, water. And I want to ask you this in your imagination. Where is that rain going? You can open your eyes. When the rain falls on the tops of the mountain range, where does it go? It runs down the mountain to the valleys, right? It runs to the lowest places. And this is our big idea for today. The big idea is that God's current of love always runs to the lowest place. God's current of love always runs to the lowest place. Okay, so it's one, one thing to say this, but it's another thing to experience it, right? As I mentioned before, we may not always experience that truth in our, love that God, in our life, that God's love is um, really tangible and real for us in the lowest places. So when I thought, thought about this big idea for today, there were three questions that came to mind for me. Maybe they're questions that would jump to mind for you. They are this. How is God's love able to run to the lowest place? So what enables God to be in those low, low places with us? The second question is, how does God's love comfort us in the lowest places? Um, what does that actually mean? How does that happen in the valleys when God's presence is with us? And finally, how can we tune our hearts to God's love? So these are the three questions that I'm hoping will shape our time together today and guide us through the scriptures, church history, and um, through our reflection on this big idea. So the first question, how does God's love run to the lowest place? How is it able to be in the lowest place with us? Well, um, this last week, uh, my husband Dwayne was scrolling on Instagram, and he ran across a meme that just absolutely cracked him up. He was cackling. He thought it was so funny that he, like, sent it to my parents, he sent it to his friends, he sent it to me. So I'm going to share it with you now, and I'm going to see if you think it's as funny. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. So the meme is like a post on Facebook. So there's the initial post on Facebook, and then there's a comment underneath. I would have put this in the slides, but I didn't get it together fast enough for Sarah. So you're just going to have to imagine it with me as I read it to you. OK, so here's the original post on Facebook. There's one 4th of July that always sticks out for me, 1997. That's the year my stepdad pulled me aside from the fireworks show to reveal he bought a grenade. He tossed it off a cliff, and just he and I saw it. I started calling him dad. The man earned it. OK, so that's the post. But then underneath is this comment, a response to the post. It says, that was a dark year for me. My dad and I were at the Grand Canyon for 4th of July, and then, out of nowhere, he just blew up right beside me. <laughs> okay, so now I know you all have a dark sense of humor like my husband. Um, I was like, Twain, really? Okay, let's see if I can tie this back to our sermon here um, about God's love running to the lowest place. How about this? Um, I think we often can feel that in life, right? Like, there can be a similar moment where we are having an awful, awful time, but another person's having a completely different experience, right, of the same moment. They're seeing the fireworks, they're seeing the glory, but we're experiencing the loss and the devastation. 
And I think sometimes we feel this way about God, like we're living down in real life, we're living in humanity, we're living in the canyon, but God's up out in heaven somewhere and just totally disconnected from our pain. How can God know and be experiencing the pain and suffering with us? Well, the Bible tells us there's two ways in which the current of God's love can run to the lowest places with us. And the first is that um, God's current of love is able to run to the lowest place because Jesus has walked the lowest places before us. So Jesus, of course, is the Son of God. We believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God come to be enfleshed with us. And so Jesus was not just a man, he was also the person of God here on earth. And one of the hallmarks of being a Jesus follower is that we follow a suffering Messiah. We follow a Savior who has walked the lowest places two millennia before us. We have so many stories in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of ways in which Jesus experienced suffering. He wept over the loss of his dear friend Lazarus when his friend Lazarus died. He experienced betrayal when his friend and disciple Judas um, betrayed him. He experienced abandonment from his disciples and his friends. And then, of course, there was that long and brutal walk of the Passion of the Christ where he was headed towards the cross and his body was beaten and tortured and broken. He experienced physical pain um, in ways that I think hopefully many of us have never experienced or had to experience. And then ultimately, he was on the cross, and we see him experiencing the loneliness, the isolation, um, where he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you've ever been in the valley, and if you've ever had a place and a time when you were like, God, where are you? Why are you here? Rest assured, Jesus uttered those words 2,000 years ago on the cross. He knows. He has been there. He has been in the place. Um, where he has wondered where God's presence was in the valley. And then ultimately, finally, Jesus experiences the ultimate suffering, which is death, which we're not going to end there, but we'll come back to that a little bit later. So to recap, so God's current of love is able to run to the lowest places in our lives because Jesus has walked those lowest places before us. But that's not the only thing. The Bible tells us the second reason why God's love is able to run to the lowest places is because he has sent us the Holy Spirit. So Jesus dies, he's buried, but the good news is he doesn't stay dead, he's resurrected, right? We have Easter, he comes back to life. The scriptures tell us that Jesus revealed himself to no less than 500 people after he was raised from the dead. And you can imagine the euphoria that the disciples feel, can't you? Um, Just their their teacher, their rabbi, their Jesus, they thought they'd lost him. He's back, and he's spending time with them. But then he says, it's time for me to move on. I've got to go back to the right hand of the Father. I can't be with you in physical form forever. And you can imagine the panic of the disciples. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, Jesus. We lost you, and then we got you back, and now we're going to lose you again? What are you talking about? And Jesus says to them in John 16, 7, he says, wait, listen, listen. It's good that I'm going away. Because if I don't go, then the paraclete won't come to you. But if I go then I will send the paraclete to be with you. It's good that I'm going away, because if I don't go, then the paraclete won't come to you. But if I do go, then I will send the paraclete to be with you. 
So you notice I've used the original Greek word in this translation, paraclete. And that word is so rich with meaning um, that there's not really an easy one-to-one -one English translation for that word. And I wonder, those of you who maybe have your Bibles with you or have your YouVersion app, if you pull up John 16, 7, you'll see that different translations um, use different words for paraclete. So I was just wondering, if those of you who do have your Bible with you, can you just shout out real quickly, what's the word your version uses for paraclete? Advocate, yeah. Are there any others? We're all using the same version. Yeah. <laughs> Counselor, thank you. Yeah. Sorry? Helper, yes, exactly. You might have encourager in there as well. Friend, excellent. Isn't that amazing? This one word paraclete means advocate, helper, friend, encourager, counselor, right? All of these things together. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives. The paraclete is the comforter, encourager, advocate, friend, helper in our lives. And if Jesus walked the valleys of life before us, the Holy Spirit is the rain from heaven that runs down the mountains into the valleys of our lives with us now in this present moment. So that leads us to our next question. How does God's love comfort us in the low places? And this is really what I'm most excited to talk to you about today. How does God's love comfort us in these low places? Well, I want to turn to one of my favorite writers and theologians and preachers. His name is Brian Zond. And he says this. He says, The help from the sanctuary, that is the Holy Spirit, will always come but it may come in the form of comfort, perspective, hope, and strength to endure. So he says the help from the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will always come. It will always come. We're promised that in Scripture. But it may not come the way that we expect, right? It may not come in a big boom and loud, miraculous change of the circumstances. It can. God can work that way. But it may not come that way. More often, the help from the Holy Spirit comes in the form of comfort, which gives us a slightly different perspective, which gives us hope, that gives us strength to endure. What does this look like? Well, I want to turn to one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Are you all familiar with the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? It was turned into a movie. Yep. You'll remember in this story, the four Pevensey's children return to Narnia and they go on an adventure on the high seas, right, with Prince Caspian and his crew. And they're going from island to island to island. And in their adventures, they run across an island that's covered in darkness. It's called the Dark Island. And this island is said to help to make your dreams come true. It's an island where your dreams come true. And the sailors at first are so excited about this. They're like, an island where my dreams come true? And they start rowing as fast as they can to get the Dawn Treader to the island. But then as they're rowing, they suddenly remember and realize, wait a second. I may have a few great dreams, but I have far more nightmares. And if this is an island where my dreams come true, then this is an island where my nightmares come true, and I don't want anything to do with that. And so they quickly start to row away from the island, but it's too late. They're already in the grasp of the island. They're already in the darkness, and the fear starts to paralyze them and set in. 
and they can't get out of the darkness and they're yelling and crying and their nightmares are starting to present themselves to them. And in that moment, Lucy, who is the youngest Pevensey child and who has a really special relationship with Aslan, decides to call out to Aslan. And if you've read the books and if you've watched the movies, you know that for C.S. Lewis, Aslan is an archetype for Jesus, right? And so Lucy whispers, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send us help now. The darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a little, a very, very little better. The book says she goes on to say there, after all, nothing has really happened to us yet. Her perspective starts to open a little bit. I mean, even though it's dark and they're scared, she's like, nothing's really happened to us yet. Her perspective shifts. Then all of a sudden, a small beam of light enters the darkness and illuminates the ship. It's still very dark, but the ship is like stuck in this beam of light. Lucy looks up along the beam, and at first she sees something, and she thinks maybe it's a cross, maybe it's an airplane, and then she realizes it's an albatross. And the albatross comes down, and it starts to circle the prow of the ship, and it begins to guide the ship out of the darkness. But as the albatross is circling the ship, it whispers to Lucy, Courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt was Aslan's. I think this is a really beautiful picture in literature of how the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us in the lowest places. Comes to us in the form of a little bit of comfort, right? Lucy's heart was comforted. She had a slightly different perspective. She realized nothing really had actually happened to them yet. And then she had hope. She saw the light. The light came down. The albatross came down. And it gave them the strength to endure through the darkness and make their way out of the darkness. I personally have experienced this form of the Holy Spirit ministering in my life this way. And there have been plenty of times when I have wondered, God, where are you? I've been in dark places and I haven't really, um, I've just wondered where the presence of God was in the midst of that. But God has also been so, so faithful to me. I've also had moments where I've felt the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life in some of my lowest places. And I want to share one of those with you right now. So over Christmas time, I received a long-term diagnosis, something I'm going to have for the rest of my life, and I've got to be on meds. And any of you who've had that kind of diagnosis know that period of time where they're trying to figure out your meds is pretty brutal. It really caught me off guard. Like, I did not realize it would be that difficult to sort of adjust and get the right, you know, the right calibration of the meds. But if you know me, you know I'm a pretty highly productive person and I don't want to be distracted by physical things. And so I just kind of like pushed it aside and just started a new job. My kids have hit new stages um, in development where they felt like there was new things I needed to be doing as a parent and a mom. And I just didn't have time for my body to not be functioning the way that I was used to it functioning. So I just kept plowing through and I just kept plowing through and I was doing the doctor's appointments and the blood draws and all that stuff and all the tests, but I was sort of like, oh, that's so annoying. I just want to get through. And then I would hit the two-month period where I was trying to adjust these meds and everything was out of whack and my bottom, I had cladophobus, the floor just fell out beneath me. And I finally hit a crisis point where I was like, I need to just go talk to my doctor and work through some of this. And so I sat down with my doctor and I was like, these are all the things I'm dealing with right now. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, 
How are you doing emotionally? How are you feeling? And friends, I have to tell you, I had not stopped to ask myself that question this whole time. And the minute she asked it, it was like the floodgates opened. And I was like so embarrassed. I'm sitting in the middle of the doctor's office. And before I realized it, I was weeping. I mean, just weeping. That doctor's appointment was at three in the afternoon. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, I did not stop weeping until I went to bed that night. It was like seven straight hours of just (sighs) crying. And it wasn't like a despair kind of crying. It was more like a grieving or like coming to terms with, you know, I would have hoped that this diagnosis would have happened maybe, you know, I'm only 43. Like it would have been great if I could have had another 30 years, you know, before, but here we are. Um, And so just sort of coming to terms with it. So that evening I was getting ready for bed and I had playing one of my very favorite Christian uh, uh, songwriters, singer-songwriters. Her name is Ellie Holcomb. I highly recommend her, Ellie Holcomb, if you look her up. And she has a song called Paradox. And I've heard this song many times. And as I was getting ready for bed, the song started playing again. And it was as if my ears just, bing, like opened up. And I suddenly heard it for the first time. And these are the lyrics of the chorus. The lyrics say, now I'm in a valley looking up. You have never felt so close. Canyons all around me, stars above. Meet me in the depths below, where the lost is found, where the broken is crowned, where souls rise up from the ground. You got me in the valley looking up. And I, all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, in my imagination, I could see it. I was like in the valley, I was in the canyon, like the Grand Canyon, and I was looking up, and the canyon was all around me, and the stars were above. And it was still a beautiful image, and God's presence was so close. And it was one of those rare gifts of a moment where I was like, ah, the Holy Spirit is here, is comforting me. Just a moment of comfort, and my perspective shifted because I realized even in the valley, there was still beauty, primarily because God's presence was with me. And it gave me just enough hope to give me the strength to endure through another day and thank the Lord I'm in a better place now we've got the meds sorted out I'm like feeling a lot better but it gave me that little bit of strength to endure to get from the next day to the next day to the next day friends this is I think the promise that we get from the scriptures when they tell us that God's presence is with us in the highest highs and the lowest lows Um, and so how do we attune our hearts this is the final question for today how do we tune our hearts to the presence of God's love when we're in the valleys well I think the first thing we need to do is we need to be like Lucy and we need to ask for help I mean certainly ask for help from your community from your friends your church community but don't be afraid to ask for help from the Holy Spirit that in and of itself is a legitimate prayer help me Holy Spirit help me and ask God to help make that help real for you. The second thing is to pay attention. Um, as I said before, God's presence is certainly able to like sweep in and be vibrant and knock us over on the head. But more often than not, I find that God's presence in my life is more like God, God, how God revealed himself to Elijah. Do you remember Elijah tucked himself into a cave and he was waiting for God to come by and a storm came by and God wasn't in the storm and and the fire came by and God wasn't in the fire and then there was a still small voice, a whisper, and God was in the whisper? That often is how I have been experiencing God in my life and I think there are ways and times in which I need to just stop and slow down and give myself permission and space 
to encounter that gentle presence of God. And so I encourage you to, whether it's every day or a few times a week, set aside time. Give yourself, they say, 11 minutes. It takes 11 minutes for our nervous system to settle down. So give yourself at least 15 minutes to just be still and say to God, help me know, help me see where you are in my day. Train my attention on you, right? You can pray that prayer. And finally, I would say, don't be afraid to believe. God is faithful. Don't be afraid to claim those moments of comfort, hope, perspective as the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. I think sometimes we have this little critic on our shoulder that's like, oh, you're just over-spiritualizing it. Oh, no, that's, that's just a coincidence. And what I like to say to my inner critic is, okay, thank you for trying to protect me, but I don't really need you right now. What I need right now is the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life and that comfort and that hope and that perspective. Don't be afraid to claim those moments as a genuine, real presence of God in your life. Because after all, that is what it means for us to be a people who follow Jesus. That's what it means for us to be a people whose lives, whose imaginations, whose day-to-day is shaped by the presence of Jesus. It means that we live in a reality where even the darkest of nights, even the deepest of valleys, are not absent the presence of our powerful and our good God. Isn't that amazing? That's the reality that we have to claim. That's ours because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. As the psalmists say in Psalm 139, we'll go back to the psalm that we opened with. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. That's the reality we live in. May we go out this week knowing that we are going out into God's hands that are holding us in the highs and the lows of our week, hemming us in, being there with us in the mountains and the valleys, And knowing and trusting and believing that even when we're in the valleys, God's current of love runs to those lowest places for us. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that A, you walked the lowest places before us, that you in your great wisdom and mercy and grace chose to come from heaven to live in the low places too. And that you didn't stop there, but you sent us the Holy Spirit to walk those low places with us in the present now. Jesus, I pray this week that you would open our hearts to you, be attuned to you, to be aware of the ways in which you bring us comfort, perspective, hope, and strength to endure. And we'll thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness day in and day out. In your name, amen.